This week on the Veterinary Viewfinder, we're going to take a dive into talking about how we can better help our clients in setting them up for success and not just them, but their pets before they purchase, adopt, or foster a new pet. This week on the Veterinary Viewfinder, we're also going to take a little bit of a conversation turn into how we can help our clients know the best way to take care of their pets, you know, in end-of-life decisions. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And one of the things that veterinarians, veterinary professionals always struggle with is the what ifs, right? The people that adopt, foster, or even purchase a pet, and they kind of made a decision that we don't know if it was the right one for them, (laughs) given the circumstances. So this week, we're going to talk about how can we help them before they commit to a pet. And then we're also going to spin it to what about older people as they worry about what would happen to their pets after they're gone. Before we get into all of that, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And there's a lot around the conversation today that it just sort of has to do with the time of year. And I think the seasons of everything we're going through, um, it's kitten season. Yeah. (laughs) It's the virus that I hate to name season still um, Mm, that doesn't ever seem to want to go away. So we know there's like more kittens and puppies. I've heard this, Dr. Ernie, I don't know about you. I've heard this from all of my colleagues. They are busier than ever before, and they are seeing more and more puppies and kittens um, than ever before that are new adoptions and even fosters. Right, and that leads us to a big dilemma because people are adopting during the middle of a global pandemic, which means that they are kind of making decisions in a different way. Their puppies aren't being socialized in the traditional manners. Maybe they don't spend as much time with the veterinary healthcare team as we're used to and would like. So are we missing out on certain elements of the, I guess we should say the early pet parenthood phase, right? I mean, so, you know, how are we having these conversations? And more importantly, I think, because so many people have adopted or fostered a pet during this pandemic, how can we help them make the right pet decision? Becky, I heard a friend of mine who works with another foster out West, they were literally having a a, a raffle because they had so many people wanting to adopt this dog. And they were like, well, we're just going to pick a name out of the hat. Don't know that picking the name out of hats, the right way to do that. Yeah, actually the Orange County shelter did that um, with like 68 bully breeds that were pulled from a hoarding situation and they adopted them out in a lottery fashion. And I thought to myself, this seems a little sketchy because we're talking about bully breeds and I think there's you know a lot of medical nuances to owning one and again it kind of brought me to that thought process of like how could we actually get in front of this because if they're not a current client so maybe they've been a past client but lost a pet and we're not still in contact or they're a brand new pet owner, we don't really have access to them before they get there. Some of the shelters and some of the rescue agencies do this, but I think the veterinary industry could be more active. And viewfinders, one of the things that you know that Becky and I are strong advocates for, that is collaborating within this community. So you should, as a clinic, be reaching out to your local fosters and rescues. Heck, even some of the responsible breeders out there, don't be afraid to broach those conversations. And the other thing too is, Becky, you know, I think that if you have a social media presence, if you have a website, heck, if you have a newsletter still, which is not a bad idea, but you need to make sure that you are offering your community the steps that they can take if they're considering adopting, fostering, or even purchasing a pet. Because you know what happens, Becky? These people are saying, you know what? 
Hey, honey, let's get a dog. Oh, okay, great. Where do we find out? They go online. And so if your voice isn't there, if they don't even think to turn to you as a veterinary professional, guess what? We don't know where they wind up, but the World Wide Web is an awfully large place. Yeah, and and it becomes the thing, like, and I hate to say it, but, you know, you can't, like, tender your dog. You you can't because there isn't, like, a one date and you realize that you are not clicking So when we have people who are just like flipping through ads trying to find the right pet, I think we lose the opportunity for ones that may not be quite as visually appealing or without really getting in touch with, and you know, this is my favorite thing, the why. And the like, what is it you're trying to get out of a relationship with a pet? Is it a running buddy? Is it a reading companion? Because they're two very different recommendations. Right. And and so Becky and I, have, of course, in our long and illustrious career, and some of ours are longer. I've been around a while, Becky, but we've written about this. We've done all kinds of media. But I would encourage you, the first thing viewfinders today for this solving this problem is to go on your website, on your social media, and create a simple blog post. And it says, So you're thinking about adopting a dog or a cat. Those are probably two separate blog posts, but you get what I'm going for. And you actually go through this little steps like Becky said. So what are you looking for in this relationship, right? Because at the end of this sort of content that you're going to create for your website and your social media presence, you're going to say, hey, I need a medium-sized dog, right? Or, hey, I'm looking for an older cat because that those things adapt. So that's the first bit of content, Becky, that I want our Viewfinder family to start there and promote because... At the end of the day, when people are searching for this type of information, remember that Google does tend to favor proximity. So this is also how you get new clients. Right. And there are going to be clients who are looking for a veterinarian knowing that they're going to be adopting and they're thinking about a new pet. And so considering building pre-purchase slash adoption counseling into your services is not only going to appeal to those who are maybe like looking and think, oh, I don't know what this is, but it might be something that your current clients see. And then you get the word of mouth benefit, but it's, it's an area we really need to concentrate. And then the other thing I think we can do, and we kind of alluded to it in the beginning is go to your area shelters and talk to them about what they do. And if they aren't doing this, I think it's a worthwhile thing to ask them about and, and to offer services. Right. And I'll tell you too, there's, there's two important things that Becky said there. Number one, this sort of service, it should be free. You know, if somebody's looking for advice on what dog or cat would be best for their home environment, you know what? That's something that you can have your veterinary technicians do. Those are calls you should readily accept and be happy to field, in my opinion. So, you know, Becky, I can tell you that in my years, I had some wonderful RVTs that I, we, this is what they did. You live for these phone calls. Sadly, they don't come that often. The second thing is the limit of the relationship between most veterinary clinics and a shelter slash rescue involves what, Becky? Discounts, free stuff, right? And so we know that that's a source of friction for that relationship. What I'm saying is, no, I don't know that you have to give it all away or do a discount, although I think you should. But the reality is just starting to create those bridges, those forming those relationships. I mean, Becky, you know, I think sometimes what happens that these rescues just say, well, you know, Dr. Such and Such, he's never supported us. And and so then there's a negative, you know, sort of vibe out there. And I think we can do better as a community. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of angles and there's a lot of different ways and relationships and means. And, and we all know that there, we, I mean, you and I did a podcast on how difficult the rescue and 
And yeah. Shelter World can be to penetrate right. in general, and they're very protective, and and for a lot of good reasons, but a lot of tough ones too. Right. Either way, you know, I don't really want to look behind in the future. Or I don't really want to look behind in the past. I mean, and say like, well, you know, this is where we're at. It's more important to just like bridge those. I don't know, bridge those gaps. I know I keep saying yeah. it, but it's just like identifying where these are because there is nothing worse than getting a new client. And 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 I don't want to be judgmental, and I am not client client shaming. But there is that thing about like a, an older lady, you know, like seventy or eighty, and she comes in with this like four year old German Shepherd, and right. I'm like, right. wait a minute. If this guy goes down at home, she can't move him. She can't get him out of there. There's, there's, it's not just even a matter of handling. There's, there's just various aspects we need to consider. And there's so many questions we can ask and areas we can explore prior to bringing pets home to make these really great matches. And not to mention, we're also talking about the individuals who spend the most time with these pets. And so, sure, right. maybe a pet is going to be shy at first, but they know they're really going to come out of their shell and be a great pet for, you know, these people or these kids or this family. And they're worth listening to, and they should have more of a voice in the process. Because, you know what, they've been loving these animals. They should have a little bit of, I think, you know, say and autonomy in where they go, knowing the best for them. Absolutely. And and Becky, uh, viewfinders, you're going to relate to this story just happened to me over the weekend. Well, as we all know, this is the time when people graduate. Kids graduate from high school, and so they're going off to school next year, which means there's empty nesters out there, right? Yeah. Well, this weekend, one of my soon-to-be empty nester friends in the community sent me a long text message with a lot of pictures. And these are people that are older than us, but their only child is leaving for college. So guess what? Let's get a puppy to fill that void. And guess what puppy they got, despite not having a dog for decades? A Labrador. Now, these people are much older than me. And I'm like, wait, what? And and so I texted them back and I said, that's great. Why did you choose a lab? And guess what, Becky? Well, back when the son's name was little kid, that was our last dog. And I was like, that was 20 years ago. <laughs> you know, your life has changed dramatically. So I really wish that I or some veterinary professional had the opportunity to kind of go through a checklist like Becky is proposing and say, hey, let's look at what fits best for your lifestyle. And honestly, as my wife and I were talking about it after this, this little text and then phone call, uh, it was like, wow, they really needed a small dog because they're talking about traveling. And I'm going to tell you, it's a lot easier to travel with my two little dogs that are, you know, 15, 20 pounds versus something that's going to be 75, 80 pounds. Yeah. And, and that's the thing we can kind of get in front of. And if people are going to be 100% sold yeah, either yeah, way, of then course. like, okay, fine. We're not going to be able to help. But if we, if there, you know, you look around these ads and these like locals and the neighborhood and the ring apps and all these things that come out now and you get these like, you know, my six month old dog. And it's so sad because it's like now you're through the puppy phase and right. you've now got this thing that's still chewing shoes. It's still pooping and peeing all over the house and doing whatever. And um, they end up back at the shelter. They end up, you know, free to get home or whatever it is. And, and so much of that can be avoided with like the proper coaching and having a proactive conversation. And I think, again, it's an area we can be in front of. I know I'm always saying, like, the veterinary industry needs to get in front of this, but I think it's an area we can help. And this is another opportunity for a solution, viewfinders. And Becky, I'm sure, is about to jump in on this. But this is during the puppy and kittenhood phase, that new pet parent phase. We need to be in 
close constant contact, giving them advice. Because here's what happens. And you guys have probably heard me do the lecture on the nine-month visit, but there's a large vacancy in that first year of life where there's no need to go to the veterinarian. I mean, if you think about it, after those initial immunizations, spay-neuter, it's like, see ya in a year or eight months or whatever. And so who do they turn to when the dog starts chewing on the furniture or the cat starts having accidents on the couch or the bed, right? So we need to make sure that we are in contact with these people. And one of the solutions I offered many, many years ago was something called the nine-month visit that we had tremendous success with, you know, 15 years ago or so. And if you want more, you can definitely look up. I've written about this. It's all over the internet or different different conferences and so forth. But Becky, how can the Viewfinder family stay in closer contact, give them this coaching as they move through early puppy and kittenhood or are there third-party services i mean what how should we be addressing this i think it's both i think you you know there isn't one blanket answer what are your resources what are your interests you know who's in the toolbox do you have somebody in your clinic that really truly loves this area or do you have really proactive really wonderful shelters and adoption programs in your area i think you kind of have to look around and see what you have and how you can make this help um, and, and I always say lean into your staff. They're going to have creative ideas and fun ideas. I also think this helps when, um, you know, we look at staff and the way that they want to have philanthropic opportunities and, and the ability to do good things. This helps them. So I think you got to do what works for you in your space, but just find something to do because there's there's a ton of different ways to go about this. And that's whether it's reaching out, whether it's putting on your list of services, whether it is, you know, asking shelters if you can have a mailing list of new adopters. I mean, get creative, right? Um, get outside the box and, and figure out the ways to do this. I think you can also, if you have somebody in your practice that, you know, really wants to is is go out and, and educate others, right? Train the trainers right. because you can make ripples and, and bigger changes when you're teaching other people how to do this. And long-term listeners, viewfinders, you know we've done a couple of different episodes where we talk about the importance of partnering up and collaborating with like dog trainers in your community. And you need to have those, those trainers that you trust because let's face it, not everybody is the type of trainer that we would perhaps prefer for our puppies. And so one of the things that always frustrates me is the fact that typically we get the phone call as veterinary professionals when something has gone terribly wrong. So now the client's calling us, hey, do you know the name of a good dog trainer? And it's like, well, I mean, we've got a couple of people in mind. Why? Well, I had this one dog trainer and they were horrible, right? They hurt my dog. They scared my dog. So we don't want to get in that situation. So if you don't have someone on your team who offers these types of services, you need to, again, as Becky says, stay in front of it and offer them trusted resources. Because at the end of the day, most people with a puppy are at some point going to need a trainer to help them do something, right, Becky? And so we want to make sure that we give them reliable people that we trust. Absolutely. And I think this is a time where we can be really creative because the shelters and the adoption agencies are having to be really creative. So if you call and offer this type of service to the new fosters or to people who might be on a waiting list while they're waiting for their yeah. pets, the other thing you can do is if you are if you're in the south where, where we are, where COVID apparently doesn't exist anymore <laughs> and everything's open back up, um, 
You can you can go to these adoption events. Just go to the events. Offer to be standing at the event for free to talk to people who might be interested in looking at a pet. And and I think this is a great way to get that guy down at the end who's gone to 27 adoption events and never gotten adopted because he doesn't quote unquote show well. <laughs> Uh, matched up with the right family. You're right. You're right. I love that. So again, we just want you, I guess I want veterinary we want professionals. Homes. We want yeah. pets in homes. We do. We do. You and, know, we, and to stay there. And we want to be relevant to this conversation because what is happening is sadly veterinary healthcare is being sort of put off into one. I only need them when my dog is really sick. Right. So, you know, yeah. like because there's, there's an illness or injury or something or it's this other weird angle, you know, where they kind of go, well, I have to go for the rabies vaccine. Yeah, I yeah. have to go to get him his immunizations or whatever, right? And so those aren't really the places that build that bond. And, you know, look, we all can look back romantically yesteryear of veterinary medicine and say, you know, oh, gosh, we were everything, the one stop, everything to everybody all the time. Well, guys, we don't live in that world anymore. It's highly fragmented. People have access to a wide variety of pet care professionals, some self-proclaimed professionals, some unlicensed, uncredentialed that I'm worried about. But the reality is they don't know how to discern between the two. We have to make sure that we, Becky, I'll say it again, stay in front of these topics and give people the information, lead them towards making good decisions and good relationships with trusted pet professionals. Right, because if not, you know where they are. Over on Instagram, checking out the influencers, asking what they recommend based on the product that's paying them the most for the post. And I guess that's one thing I find like super frustrating is just the areas where we lose out on the opportunity to be the trusted go-to source on the first yeah. go. So, you know, you guys have all these, you know, Gen Zers and whatnot in your practice that live on Insta. Get them you know, Snapchatting, Instagramming, social media booming your practice and your skills and, you know, your offerings, because that's how you're going to become the voice ahead for your community. And Becky, you probably recall last year I did a off-label veterinary news YouTube video where I took the top pet Instagram influencers and showed that all of them were making more than... Yes than any veterinary technician <laughs> and most veterinarians. It was still like, sort of what? furious, sort of what? sad, sort it of, was. I can't, that was a big bag of feelings. Um, I know. Right I remember. There. Yeah. Becky definitely gave me an earful in that when she was like, you know, Oh my gosh. And I was like, Hey, I didn't, don't, don't shoot the How message. is it possible? Like it's, 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 it's everything it shouldn't be. It really so was. here's how we get in front of it. And it I really guess, was. you know, crazy. Sometimes we have to be in front of it, and then sometimes we have to be behind it, right? And then we kind of have to look at the back end of pet ownership. Right, and that leads us to the normal conversation that we have with people that are getting older or they're diagnosed with a terminal condition, and they will inevitably turn to one of us and say, you know, what do I do? What if I outlive my dog or cat? And, and that's one part of the equation. I think we've addressed that, and we'll talk about it in just a moment. But the other part is the reluctance to bring a pet on into your life when you're at a certain age because you fear you would outlive your pet. And so we have to make sure that we as a profession are 
once again, out in front and communicating with people that, hey, look, there are ways that you can, you know, take care of your pet after you're passing or after you're unable to. Because, I mean, think about it, Becky. We have children knowing full well that we hope to outlive our children, right? But that doesn't mean I didn't have two daughters because, you know, I would die before they died. I mean, that sounds terrible, right? But but you get where I'm going at this, but yet so many people are like, well, I don't know what to do with my pet. And I think that legally, and if you're clever and thoughtful, you can actually develop a plan if that eventuality occurs. Becky, I mean, am I making sense here? Yeah, and I think part of it, to be fair, I don't want to pigeonhole this conversation to just, you know, our elderly clients. For me, I almost think this is like an intake question for all of our clients is do you have end of life or decisions for your pet included with your end of life decisions? That wasn't eloquent, but you get my point. Yeah, I do. It doesn't matter. I, you know, I lost my best friend two years ago. She was 29. I lost my mentor three years ago. He was 44. Um, it's it isn't a matter of the the elderly only and i think right. it is a part where we can get people's wheels turning and thinking like well no why would i worry about that and kind of like well, well you have somewhere to put your kids and you have somewhere to put your house and you have somewhere to put your money um and if you don't think about that too. right right right, right. That's a really good point, you know, Becky, and and I'll be the first to admit, like, our dogs are not included in our will. Now, basically, and we just had to redo this, and and our legal team didn't bring it up. I, quite frankly, didn't even think about it, but now I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, I guess I need to make a phone call. Because you're right, because, I mean, and our children are grown, so they're able to make, you know, so as far as the will transaction really was more financial, you know, how, how that stuff would play out. But, you know, you're right. Like, I would want my daughters to make sure that they had the ability to make decisions on our pets if something were to happen. And I, I, I'm assuming they would because it'd be part of the estate. But, you know, Becky, I would want to make sure also that they were cared for in the fashion that, that I would want to ensure and, and make, make certain of. Sure. But then you have folks out there like myself who don't have kids. So as I age, um, you know, I have a stepdaughter, and so I don't want to discredit that. But to the point that I right. personally don't have children of my own, um, and for example, my stepdaughter is in the military, and so right. she's she can't take on the, the six animals right, like currently. Right. And so then that's the other thing. After people pass away, they don't want their pets separated, and who's going to take on six animals overnight? And then the other thing I want to say is the reason I think it's valid for us to ask is because on more than one occasion, um, our animal hospitals have been notified um, of a pet in a home based on the fact that they have a rabies tag and they're looking for somewhere to put this animal while next of kin are called and, you know, things like that. And so... um, if we can say actually we are familiar with the arrangements and we can help it's it's such a more productive situation than like okay well we just have this animal and i've been involved in that situation more than one time right and becky i'm going to spin it even worse i've been involved with situations where the parents passed away or a parent passed away and the children then took over care of the dog and they came in to me to ask if i would euthanize it right. which of course doesn't end well at all yeah. uh i mean not not for the dog because i refuse but you know i mean like that I had a very very serious you know and and I had actually a lawyer their lawyer who was handling the estate 
uh, try to force us to do this, which you can't. That's just not, not going to happen. And so it was a bizarre situation. I'm sure other viewfinders out there have been in similar situations. So how can we avoid that? By having the conversations before the situation develops. Yeah, and I think sometimes um, we have management and, you know, practice owners who are very proactive and they're thinking about ways that they can be better practice owners and better managers and to better serve their clients. And so the point of the, this conversation, and you know, while we often talk, you know, from a more medical side of things and sometimes from a more emotional side of things, I think this is a time where we're just kind of really talking about how we can proactively better manage and provide for our clients and in turn have better outcomes for our patients. And it, it always comes back to that patient care. But I think we have to think of it on a higher level of the aspects of pet ownership that affect our patients' outcomes that we don't necessarily address with a stethoscope or diagnostic tool. Yeah, I love that. And look, we know that uh, many of our viewfinder family are at very high levels within veterinary organizations and at corporations. And so take this as a challenge. Like, you know, let's say that you might be one of the largest, you know, veterinary corporations in the world. How can you start to help us communicate this? You know, is there something you can put on your website or have your doctors and veterinary technicians communicate with? Because you're right. I mean, these aren't like fun conversations necessary to have, but maybe if there's a checklist on your gigantic website, you know, and when you do the intake that you actually say, well, what about, you know, uh, end of life type of decisions? You know, I mean, I think it's brilliant. And why aren't we having this conversation more frequently? I think, A, we're too busy in private practice, but hey, you big wigs at these big corporations, make it happen. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think that at the end of the day, we're all looking ways to be better than yesterday. And so that's what we're here for. We're just trying to, you know, flesh out some of the areas that we think we can improve and we can address issues that we see arise. And we hear our colleagues talking about that are causing problems, stress, empathy, burnout, those types of things that they definitely don't have to if we get in front of it and just be better at what we do every day. Well, viewfinders, how are you getting in front of this topic? What are you doing during the pandemic to help with socialization? Are you able to get in front of fostering decisions and adoptions? You know, how are you getting involved to help maybe this entire weird generation of pet parents be more successful. And then finally, you know, are you dealing with any of these sort of end of life discussions or eventualities that we don't like to talk about out loud? How are you addressing that? And have you ever been in a situation like I described or Becky described where, yeah, it's really, really emotionally charged and nobody really wants to do the wrong thing, but nobody always knows what's the right thing. So we want to hear from you. Our favorite thing is to hear from our listeners who say, I implemented a change because of this, or I really needed to hear this. Thank you for doing that. So reach out to us on social media and let us know how this is impacting you. You can find us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder, on Instagram at Vet Viewfinder, and over on Twitter at Vet Viewfinder. Yep, I'm always on Twitter, so hit me up. <laughs> Tweet at me. Becky's never there. Becky never. never I, I'm there. occasionally, I occasionally drop you a little heart and a little retweet. <laughs> she does. <laughs> well, viewfinders, thank you so much for once again listening to us. We hope this has helped. Please stay safe. Give your pets a hug for me. Bye. <laughs>